This episode is brought to you by Vistage. With more than 20,000 members, it's where CEOs go to grow their companies and themselves. Learn more at Vistage.com. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Lisa Cummings. Now, Lisa travels around the world helping organizations to get the most out of their human capital and personnel. I'm going to ask her what are the biggest lies or misconceptions about skills development, how some strengths might actually appear to be weaknesses to the uninformed, and how you uncover your strengths and those of your team to get the most for your organization. Now, I'll warn you that Lisa's based in Texas, so she says it's not unusual to find in her hands a welder or a chainsaw or a ukulele. Without further ado, here's my interview with Lisa Cummings. So, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. Great being here. <laughs> oh, see, now you're laughing. See, everyone should know that when I was on Lisa's show, Lisa was kind enough to edit out the fact that I was distracted when we first started our conversation and I called her by the wrong name. So, of course, now when I welcome Lisa to the show, she's laughing because she just wasn't quite sure if I was going to get her name right, weren't you? And because I was holding back the the, the urge to call you John just yeah, now. I understand. I, I get that a lot. Now, when when you and I spoke, I, I wrote an article about your philosophy on managing to people's strengths, and it took off on Forbes, and people said, wow, this is brilliant. What are the big misconceptions when people are trying to develop their teams, when they're trying to develop their skills? What are those misconceptions or lies that they've been told that just aren't exactly true? Well, the biggest one is just with traditional career development, professional development, is this focus on fixing weaknesses and filling gaps. If you look at performance review processes, if you look at feedback giving and how it really sounds in the real world, everything's focused on what's going wrong. And there's just little attention paid to noticing what's going right. So it's a pretty simple concept, but that is the biggest misstep. And I call it the path of most resistance. It's like working against where people will naturally flourish and bring you better production in your company when you're focusing on those things instead of focusing on their talents. Yep. Now, having said that, of course, you got somebody who is always rubbing the client the wrong way, and that's their major weakness, um, I'm guessing you're not suggesting we totally ignore that that trade either, right? Right. Yeah, you'd be a fool if you if you did that, and you might lose a customer. So, there are a lot of strategies for it. You definitely don't want to ignore weaknesses. In that case, that person might not be skilled. They might be a, mismatched in a role, or maybe uh, they could be coached by working through a strength that they do have. It might be that they're partnering or pairing up with somebody who's really good in that area. It could be reshaping their job. So there are a lot of strategies for working around it. And really the goal is to get people spending fewer hours working in their weak zone, weakness zone and more hours working in their strength zone. So yeah, one person like that kind of messing up a client interaction, you, you wouldn't want to ignore it because that would be foolhardy. Yep. So, so you mentioned this idea of 
finding another strength that might help them overcome that. And I know that for a lot of organizations, one of the pet peeves that I hear from them is, look, I got this person, they're an amazing engineer, but we put them in front of a customer and we're just scared to death. So what sort of strengths might you look for if you're basically saying, look, we're going to accept the fact that this guy does not have great interpersonal skills. So how might we compensate for that in other areas? What might you look for to offset that? Yeah, so that situation brings a couple things to mind. So, for example, one could be, all right, if the engineer is the one who spends all the time in the analysis, knows every spec, every detail, et cetera, take, um, I, I see this a lot with sales engineers, and people will complain and say, well, they they get too far in the weeds in the customer conversation. Well, one thing they're often really great at is that they can see the story behind the numbers. They can see the story behind the specs and how this will actually help the customer. They're just not articulating that in the meeting. And so it can be a process of pre-planning that conversation about bringing that out, using a strength the person already has to do the analysis, to know every detail of every spec and be able to answer the question 20 layers deep but to save those until it becomes relevant in the conversation and just become more versed at bringing forward what the customer needs from the situation. So that's one angle. It can just be pre-planning how this stuff comes out in front of a customer and pre-planning what the customer is going to be interested in, what's relevant to that person. Because they may be under the misconception that they're there to share all their subject matter expertise, every bit they can get out, right? So part of it is setting the expectations and managing it with that employee, with your with your partner that you're going in there. Would it also work to almost kind of pre-sell or pre-solve that quirkiness with the client? So if you said, look, you know, we're, we're bringing Tom with us, and here's the first thing I want to tell you. Tom is all about the details, and so sometimes he might go on about a topic that we would all wish that he wouldn't. But what I will tell you is that Tom's a genius when it comes to this one part, so I'm just warning you in advance, he may give you a little more detail than you want, but if you listen through it, the guy's brilliant. I mean, does that work, or is that kind of you know setting a bad expectation up front? Yeah, it could work. I think if you're if you're excellent at all this stuff, you wouldn't have to make excuses for someone to a customer. So your optimal would not to be doing that. Although, you know, in the situation, if it's something you're still working through and you have the relationship to be able to pull that off, it could definitely work. And, you know, uh, there are lots of things that you could do in the situation besides that. You could partner and pair up a lot of times as an example. Salespeople partnered up with sales engineers and it's just getting really clear on the role and the conversation before they walk in so that the customer only experiences the best of each of you. It takes coordination to do that, right? And it takes each person being aware of the strengths of the other to be able to know when it's time for that person to play up and when it's time for that person to rein back. And if you're if you're that person, let's say you're the engineer and you really do want to lean into your personal strengths. There are a couple of things that you can do also if you're really paying attention to them. So let's say they're highly analytical. Let's say another talent is that they're they're deliberative and they're really good risk managers and they can understand how the details are going to play out in an account five steps down the road. Let's say they also uh, are great at harmony and they can see where different parties are 
having similar thoughts and they can actually bring people together instead of uh, having a lot of discourse in a meeting, something like that. That person could use the strength of harmony to kind of take the edge off of the deliberative where they see, okay, look, I can watch people's faces and see that when I start talking about risks, I'm turning the customer off and they want to run away from this deal. So instead, I'm going to find the points where we're on the same side, where we're agreeing and where we're going down the same path. And I'm going to lead through that angle instead of leading through that other one. So a lot of it's self-awareness as well, knowing what you're great at and then being able to turn one up and turn one down when you need it. And I imagine that's the type of training you probably spend time with clients on and helping people identify and figure out those strengths. Yes, exactly. Of course, I spend a lot of time helping people find what they are and then really watch for them. And, and, you know, a lot of us, we have them and they're just kind of sitting there latent because we haven't invested in them and we don't see what they really look like when they're showing up at work. So it's that. And then the big step is when you apply it to your productivity. It's like, okay, I have this talent and I'm investing in it to make sure it gets as strong as it can be. That The magic is then when you point it to your actual goals at your company and say, how can this team get better? Because we're paying attention to where we can be at our best. Excellent. And so let me ask you this, because this is obviously, uh, I'm guessing right now people are saying, okay, it's kind of like Steve Martin and the jerk, right? In that movie years ago, (laughs) you know, what's my special purpose? So how do people know, how do they uncover their strengths. How do you how do you know what are your strengths and what aren't your strengths? Because I'm guessing part of the challenge is, and and I see this all the time with people where someone says to me, "Wow, see, I'm really great at sales," and I'm thinking to myself, "I've seen you. You're not, but you think you are." Mm-hmm. So how do we help people uncover where their real strengths actually are? Yeah. So one of my favorite ways is go by the book Strengths Finder, take the assessment. And just look at the language they give you because it's, it's a really cool way to start talking about it and thinking about it. Basically, they're giving you a bunch of uh, this or that type of selections and then you pick and it kind of shows you these themes and the patterns and the way that you think and act at work. So that's one way. It's a simple way. I love starting with that. Another is if you're trying to do this for yourself is to just watch. Watch for a week. and. Watch when you're in flow, and then when you're feeling really productive and energized and on fire, you just had the perfect sales call, or you just got off a customer conversation and you felt like you're really on fire, step back for a second and just make note of what's going on, who and where and how. So like, who are you talking to? What is it about that conversation that really felt like it set you on fire? Where are you? Is it that you're great on a sales call that's in person? Is it when you're on the phone? Is it when you're indoors, outdoors, when you're in a specific country or company kind of culture? Just watch where you are when you're at your best. And then the how is a real big one. That is how were things going down? How are you executing? How are you relating to people? How are you working on tasks? And if you do this, when you have those moments, because you have them, you have at least one a day where you just feel really good about what happened. And then you actually take the time to note those things. You'll see strong patterns about the situation and you'll start to see, okay, this is when I'm at my best and I need to get myself in that situation as much as possible. And and how common is it for you to see people who are in positions and all of a sudden have the realization that they're 
not in the right space. They're they're actually in a place where they're compensating for their weaknesses instead of leading through their strengths. It's a really interesting phenomenon. I think often the first reaction is that. The first reaction is, oh man, I am totally mismatched. I need to find another job. And then it's really a downer when that's the first thought because that's a heavy thing to go, sure. oh, oh my gosh, did I just waste you know, away my, the entire beginning of my career or do I have the energy to make a change right now? And so that, that is a first reaction a lot of times. And when that's a reaction and people aren't prepared for that level of change, one thing I, I get people to do is just think about reframing the job, reshaping the job. People put very little faith in the fact that they can change the nature of a role pretty substantially if they just reframe the way they're coming at things. So uh, just as an example, I, I was in a sales job and it was one of those smile and dial um, and then cold call and knock on a lot of doors kind of role. And it was very scripted from this company. And I was terrible. I felt completely awkward. The script was not in my voice. It was not in my style. I hated that there was a script altogether because that's not how I roll. I want to be able to relate every situation to the person I'm looking at. And so I wasn't able to lead at all through my natural talents or my strengths. And this thing, it, it just sucked the life out of me. I remember at the end of a work day after driving around and getting all the Zig Ziglar I could in me and like <laughs> as much stinking thinking as I could get rid of, I would do in between calls driving around. And then by the end of the day, I would go to this mall beside the, uh, pretty close to our company. And they had a Franklin Covey store that sold those planners that had inspirational quotes in them. Sure. I go hide in the corner and read inspirational quotes and like, okay, I can get through this job. I, I don't this know. Job. This isn't a pretty picture, Lisa. <laughs> it was pretty bad. But I was meeting quota and doing great. And it, But it was sucking the life out of me. So I think it's a really good point is you can be competent at your weaknesses, but it's still going to feel like it's sucking the life out of you. So once I finally figured out um, that the answer wasn't my Zig Ziglar tape, the answer was that I needed to figure out how to get my voice in there. I needed to lead through my strengths. And a lot of that was in my ability to relate to people and individualize. And once I started doing that, the job felt great. And it's the same job. They were the same requirements, similar tasks. But I reshaped it by coming at it from a different perspective. And the, it felt like night and day. And so a lot of people, when I'm working with clients, uh, same thing happens. They think at first they need to go find another job. But really, there are a lot of things you can do to come at it from another angle and change the way you're approaching the job through your strengths. And it can lead to a lot of big stuff, like the whole role changing altogether over time because you start to get noticed for what you do well, and then they start to give you more of that kind of responsibility. You know, it makes makes a great deal of sense. A lot of times when I work with organizations where they have people in some sort of a sales role, you'll talk to someone who says, man, I hate doing this. I'm not good at it. Um, I, I haven't been effective, and they're just miserable. And all of a sudden, they learn an integrity-based approach to how to sell, and they're wildly successful. And they go, oh, I love this. Well, guess what? The job hasn't changed, but how they're approaching that job and how exactly. they approach their customers has changed completely. That's it. 
And in fact, they probably think that they're doing something totally different, which in terms of their methods they are, but in terms of the job itself, pretty much the same job. Yeah. And the outcomes, 100% the same. It's just how you're going about it. Yeah. So, so now that's, so you gave us a formula for how we uncover for ourselves what our strengths are. Now, let's say you're managing a team of people. So you're the CEO or your senior executive or any sort of manager. How do you help draw that out on your team? How do you figure out where people should be in the organization and how do we leverage their strengths to get the most, um, the most value for your clients and for your business? Yeah, that's a big one. And a lot of it is setting up, especially if you're in a CEO or senior leader kind of position, one big step is doing this with your leaders first and helping them feel what this feels like when the culture goes this way, and then they'll do it with their team. So that's kind of setting the stage. You do do this with your leadership team first. Start changing the dynamic of your one-on-ones. Start changing the dynamic of your team meetings instead of making things the typical status update kind of weekly meetings. Um, spend a little bit of time, even if it's five or 10 minutes a week, talking in a team environment about how, how the team looks when you get the best of them, how a person in a one-on-one, get them to share things like, you know, who is your best boss and why? What did that look like for you? When have you been at your best? Give me some career stories. Um, we'll get the best of you when, when what kind of situation is out there for you? How do you feel most supported? Or you get the most of me or the worst of me when I feel like this or when this is going on. So it's just really having a more open and regular conversation about how do you get supported? How do you show up when you're at your best? And creating that environment where you're talking about what sets them up for success. And then you're noticing when it's working for you. You're noticing when it's increasing your productivity. You're noticing when... um, profitability is going up because customers are happier because the interactions are better. And that takes time to start showing up at having the conversations just very regularly is the biggest step you can do. Yeah, and, and I got to believe you've got to set some expectations up front because if you went to an employee and said, listen, um, under what circumstances are we getting the worst from you? They might be a little bit reluctant to share an honest answer. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So it, it can't feel totally weird. Um, it, let, so let's just do an example. Like, say it's in a one-on-one, and you're you have your normal vibe, and then at the end you can say, "Hey, you know, I feel like I spend too much time just asking you about project status or uh, talking about where you are to your quota or whatever the thing is. Let's talk a little bit more about you. What else do you need from me to be your to be at your best? That could be a question. Or it could be, um, what do you feel most excited about that you have going on right now? Or what's sucking the life out of you the most right now? Just one simple question, every one-on-one that you know you're targeting to try to understand what fuels them up and what drains them. Just simple stuff. Make it sound like your voice and real questions you would ask so you don't feel dorky, you know, or, or so it doesn't feel contrived or something. But take a genuine interest in it with your words, your conversation style, it makes such a difference and it sets a completely different tone. It's easier, like if you start off with a training program and say, 
I want to support this kind of culture, then there's a moment in time where it sets the expectation that these are going to be the kind of conversations you have. And when I have those with teams, it really does light people up and set the stage for all the ones that follow. So when you just create them out of the blue, sometimes, it, yeah, you have to finesse it so they're not looking at you like, why are you asking me this stuff? This is totally different. <laughs> yeah, so if you're walking down the hall and I say, hey, Lisa, just, just out of curiosity, um, when are you awful at your job? Then obviously I'm not going to get an honest answer. And I think the thing that you touched on, there's, there's a couple things that really stuck out for me that I want to make sure that people grasp, which is first, you set the context for why you were asking. So you said, look, I, I want to get a sense of what we can do to best support you. And then what else do you need from me? Now they understand, oh, so the context of your question is how can you better support me? That's cool. Not, oh, Lisa, yeah. what is it that you'd like to complain about today? Um, you're not going to get the honest answer. The other thing is, and I imagine there's a huge difference when you do this in an organization where you've already delivered a workshop and they say, okay, cool. So now we're going to start as an organization, we're building this culture around our strengths. And then three days later, their manager says, hey, how can we best support you? The employee says, wow, they're really serious about this. So if we don't set the right context, then all of a sudden, I guess, someone could, you know, asking the question in the wrong way could actually almost backfire. Yeah, yeah. The context is so important. And just like you said, if it comes out of nowhere, it's it's like a, a moment when you say, hey, I, I notice I'm not focusing on this and I, it makes me think I'm not supporting you enough as a leader. So I want to start spending more of our time talking about this kind of stuff. Just give them the baseline so that you, they know you're out to support their success. And yeah, and, and then in the team environment, that's where it's really cool, where you describe that workshop situation because then people go, wow, that wasn't just, you know, that thing that was here and gone. They're actually going to do something with this. So they're going to make this part of a discussion we have every week. This is pretty cool. Now, I imagine with the number of people you've worked with, and obviously I'll, I'm encouraging you to make it generic so nobody gets embarrassed, but <laughs> I'm guessing that you've seen one or two situations that just really struck you when people were trying to uncover their strengths and one or two scenarios where you just said, wow, this was really a major break, breakthrough for this person. Are there examples you can share that, you know, give us some insight to to how empowering this can be? Yeah, you know, um, the, the ones that are most striking. It, it, so when I go into workshops, I always do the StrengthsFinder assessment I talked about as pre-work so that we come in with a really easy language we can start with. And so one of the talent themes in there is command. And one of my favorite ones is a lady who came in and she has the report in her hand and, and everyone was walking in the room glowing except for this one person, you know, and they're like, wow, this was like you had a mirror in my bathroom and you know everything about me. And so people were very positive about it and getting, they seemed pretty jazzed to start the day off. And this lady has the thing and she goes, I don't have command. So there. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, like those are the moments when just in the description, you see it so clearly and people kind of look and and uh, give the sideways glance and they you let the silence sit there for a while and then they kind of go, huh, yeah. I guess that is that. And uh, so those are those are the the fun moments because they start looking at themselves and 
a way that they just weren't before. And usually they can see themselves really strongly in it and then start to have the conversation like, okay, how does this apply on the job? It's, it's, it's a nice word, but what does this look like at work in this specific role? And then how could you actually use that to enjoy your work more and be more productive? I, I, it's really good. I, I could just imagine this person coming in, stepping up to the, stepping up, holding the microphone in her hand. Um, I don't have command. So there, and then drops the mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> That's what that moment felt like. It was that, uh, you know, just the the momentum in the room. Everything shifted. It was like, you know, those people that walk in and they own the room. And she owns the room when she talks. And it felt like that. And you could just see people with that blink going, did she just say that? Like, she can't see that in herself. So it, it's, those are fun because... It happens a lot. You just can't see things on yourself because you're just so close to it. And then another one that happens a lot is people can't see it as a good thing. So, for example, this uh, it happens with a bunch of them, but there's one called woo. It's winning others over. And so another woman said, um, I, like, I, I've gotten feedback on this my whole career that I uh, seem like I'm the politician shaking hands kissing babies kind of thing and that people wonder if I'm genuine and so she wanted to dismiss that one and say I don't want to work on this because I have only heard negative things about it and those are cool discussions too because a lot of times what's going on is it's just really unrefined it's showing up raw and if they spent some time investing in it it already comes naturally for them to love talking to people and to love being a connector and to love going into a social situation. It's just that it hasn't been worked on. So it's not mature and it shows up as immature. So those are probably the biggest moments for people when they see, oh, like I have this thing and I keep, I constantly hear about it, whether it's positive or negative feedback. And it doesn't have to be a negative for me. This could actually be something I'm known for in a good way. And then they really get fired up about that. One of the things that I've learned from you is this notion that we often think of it very binary as strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes sometimes you taught me that it's a matter of you might have a strength that's immaturely developed or isn't fully developed. And so in this person's case, she already had the natural inclination and strength to communicate with people. It's just there were a couple things that she was doing that made it so it wasn't well-received. But fundamentally, she had strength in that area, just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, so it. Like, you know those, when you were a kid, those jack-in-the-box things, you do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, yep. and you keep turning them, and they're under pressure, and they're under pressure, and then bam, they open and scare the bejesus out of you. Well, that's what these are like. If you try to squash this stuff down, these natural patterns in you, and pretend like it's not there, they they jump out. Like These really aren't things you can hide very easily. So why keep trying to squash that part of you down? Instead, spend a little time investing in it. Let it show up as one of your best virtues. And it really changes the way people react to you and the impact you can have on the world. And, and just to be clear, because I want to make sure our listeners get this, if as a child, 
you were scared to death by a jack in the box <laughs> and you work with Lisa, you're not going to relive that experience. <laughs> it's going to be an aha moment, but in a good way. That's right. Not and in I a bad way. I just want to yeah. make sure that people get that because you know, I hate for someone to misconstrue what it's going to be like. It's a horror in. film. Yeah, yeah. I'll bring Chucky and a clown doll with me as well. Exactly. That could be your new logo. That'd be perfect. That would be great. And we'll so, play the slasher movie theme song in the background. Excellent. So, so Lisa, what what's the if if someone said, okay, look, I, I buy into this idea of leading through strengths. What are the one or two things that organizations can do right away to start putting this sort of concept into action? I'll give you a really simple one. If you lead a team, just notice what works. Spend next week catching people, doing things right, and then actually say something about it. So a lot of times you notice top performers do great stuff all the time, but you don't affirm it to them. So it can be, you know, that simple stuff like, oh, Ian, I love how you focus on fit rather than cramming your product down my throat. Or Ian, I really appreciated it when you gave us a moment of levity, levity while I was talking about a jack-in-the-box so because that was a really intense customer call before that. Uh, whatever those moments are, but just giving people that 10-second, oh, I really appreciated how you did this, notice what works. The more you notice what works, the more you get what works. So the first thing is spend time walking around noticing. So now I notice that, what's my next step? Then, then what would I do? So if you do that as a leader, I mean, it is, that is the, the action in and of itself. The more you notice in your team, the more you're going to see the behavior from them that you want. I mean, of course, from there, you can do all those other types of things I was talking about earlier, like making it a part of your one-on-one -on -one conversations, making it a part of your team conversations, just integrate those, that flavor into your organization more and more over time. But that is a, a habit that just doesn't happen often enough. And you're so busy with getting the work done and meeting the business objective that people most often hear about feedback about, you know, whether they met quota, whether they hit this number, whether they, you know, did the report on time, but not very much about how they're approaching the job and whether that's working for the company. Excellent. All right, cool. And then, of course, if people start doing that, if they start noticing, if they catch people doing things, um, doing the right things, and they actually give them feedback about it, and they start saying, wow, you know what? My people responded to this. Then if they want to pour gasoline on that fire, they can bring someone like you in to work with their team and kind of amplify this in terms of the culture for their organization. But that first part probably would give them good insight into how that's going to play out for their business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, of course, yes, I'd love it if they all decided they wanted to come bring people like me and to, to pour gas on the fire. They can also just make sure they're resolved in applying strengths on the job. And Gallup has done research in this area and has found that people who get to focus on their strengths every day at work are six times more productive than those who don't. So there's a real business outcome here for you in doing this as well. It's not just about feeling good. It's really about getting it done for your business. Yeah, but you know what? Is six times more productive really worth it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's something our listeners will have to figure out, but it would know. seem like it would be. If you <laughs> like that arrow pointing up into the right like it is in your logo, that, that's a good thing. 
Excellent. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us and for giving us an idea of how to lead through strengths. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? And by the way, I'm going to include in the show notes, Lisa has an awesome, and I really mean a great podcast that I've been um, trying to convince her to um, to put out there more frequently, and hopefully you will. But what's the best <laughs> way for people to get a hold of you? Thanks, Ian. So the podcast is called Lead Through Strengths, and uh, website is the same, leadthroughstrengths.com. They could email me at lisa at leadthroughstrengths.com, and Twitter is at Lisa Cummings. Excellent. So thanks again for joining us. Your wisdom is, uh, is certainly going to change people's lives if they take this in and internalize it, and I can't thank you enough for being here. It was great being here. Thanks for having me. I can't thank Lisa enough. She shared a lot of great ideas. Let me give you the top few things that I think you can put to work right away. First, don't think of a weakness as what you're doing, but it might just be how you are approaching a given task. Second, if you want to know how to help get the most from your team, follow these three simple steps. First, notice what's working. Second, catch them doing things right. And then provide feedback in the proper context around how they're achieving things that are actually having an impact for you. Now, remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If you know someone I should have as a guest on the show, or if there's a topic you'd love for me to cover or a question you want me to answer, please send me an email directly to ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at growmyrevenue.com.